Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, September 18th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi with the announcement this week that Ward 11 Councillor Jeremy Farkas will be running for mayor in the next civic election. We ask Mayor Nenshi the question on many people's minds, does he intend to run again? How do Canadians feel about shutting down businesses if there's a second wave of COVID-19? We speak with Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker on the results of a new poll that looks at the topic and the results may just surprise you. Then we head down south for a look at the upcoming federal election and the impact of the coronavirus crisis. We hear from Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, as the U.S. will record over 200,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the coming days. And finally, Rosh Hashanah kicks off on Friday night. We'll learn about the significance of the Jewish holiday and how it's celebrated in our city with Rabbi Menachem Matasov. You see, I am the mayor of Ma's Cafe. Back home, I am someone in my own small way. It is the morning news here on 770 CHQR, 742. Normally in the slot, we catch up with Danielle Smith, brought to you by River's Edge Villa Bungalows in Cochrane. Call to book your private appointment. Show homes now open. Very excited for our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning, friends. I want to ask you something. I'm not sure if you've been following the news <laughs> this week, but... Uh, I've been very busy. Well, Ward 11 <laughs> Councillor uh, Jeremy Farkas threw his hat in the ring. He's going to be running for mayor, actually, 13 months from today, October eighteenth, twenty twenty one, is the election. Not sure if you knew that, Mayor. Um, so I'm wondering. This is, I didn't realize it was thirteen this, months today. today. Today, I have a countdown clock at my desk, <laughs> and so I'm just wondering: um, Are you going to be running for mayor in twenty twenty one? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. I'm sorry. Pardon. <laughs> I don't know. It's a long. I guess long you have thirteen months to now. decide. Yeah. What, what, and uh, uh, and you know you may have noticed. Uh, I, I don't know if you've been following the news, but uh, we're in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in a terrible economic recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the province is trying to mess up our nine one one system during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a bunch of police reform to do. So what I'm trying to say is. Normally, around this time, I do start thinking. I never announce um, until much closer to the date because I don't believe in perpetual endless campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you got to do your work. But in this case, it's just really busy. So I haven't even had time to think about it. So it'll be some months yet, I should imagine, before I get a chance to really sit down and figure that out. I have no doubt we'll check back on you on that issue <laughs> at you a know, later date. Know, but, you know, listen, Jeremy's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He's been trying to learn uh, the ropes. Uh, and, you know, now he's got a chance to try and redefine himself. Uh, and good luck to him. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll leave it at that. And we will talk to you about uh, the, the mayoral race at a later time. But you brought up COVID and obviously, you know, continues to be an issue here in the province and in the city. Anything, you know, further that you can see as you look at the numbers that we're, we're seeing in schools, for example, any changes or anything that, you know, might be coming our way? Well, you know, um, we are starting to see outbreaks in schools, and we will see more. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know that will happen. And that is sort of a calculated risk uh, that the provincial government was ready to take. I've been um, doing some work just internationally with other mayors, looking at best practices and so on. And I actually saw some really interesting data yesterday that was comparing, um, you know, once you lock down and you open up again, comparing what happens when you get 50% adherence to masks, 80% adherence to masks, and no masking. And it's very clear that if people are not wearing masks, you go higher than your first wave very, very quickly. 
if you get between half and 80% wearing masks uh, in their public interactions, you actually keep that curve very flat. And that's really what we've seen, you know, growing 100, 150 cases a day across the province. And that's really the masks that are keeping it that way without increasing even more. So if we can keep it this level, we won't overwhelm the healthcare system. It'll still be very inconvenient when kids have to stay out of school for two weeks if a classmate uh, has it. It's going to be still tough on people, but at least we can keep that curve flat. And are you happy with it? Because when, you know, uh, obviously we can look at uh, the effectiveness of masks, but out and about uh, with what you're seeing, I know that uh, for myself, uh, probably that first week or two of August, I saw a few people in the grocery store without, but I'm seeing it looks like the large majority of people wearing them. The only complaint that I'm hearing is sometimes on the weekend, occasional transit users, like people who are not commuting every day, we're seeing the mask usage a little bit lower on the weekends, but beyond that, you know, when I talk to people who work in grocery stores and so on, they say people are very good-natured about it, you know, 100% compliance. And the thing that I've been saying is if you don't like it, you know, shop online, do mm-hmm. curbside pickup. Um, if you're really mad about it, you know, write an angry email to the mayor. But for heaven's sakes, don't take it out on the teenager who works in the store, right? It's just not nice, and we're not seeing it's It's rude. And it's, we're not seeing very much of it, but, you know, there was a video earlier this week. Yeah. Ironically, in a fabric store where probably everyone was there buying fabric for their masks. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's just rude, right? And we don't need rude at a time when we're going through all of this together. No, there's no need for it. There's lots of anger and uh, people are upset and worried. And we all need to work together to, you know, try and calm things down and, and be better and be the best we can be, right? Exactly that. And Excellent. by the way, can you tell the provincial government that too? <laughs> uh, you can write that letter, but we will check in with you again next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great Thanks weekend, Mayor. Thanks very much, everybody. Stay safe. That's Mayor Nahed Nedji. Right now, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Only one traffic light from the mountains. According to new Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global, 75% of Canadians support shutting down most businesses if there is a second wave of COVID-19. Here to discuss the numbers is Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker. Good morning, Daryl. Good to talk to you again. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'm actually kind of surprised by those numbers. So can you break down some of the questions you asked, the answers you got, and we'll, we'll start with that one about shutting things down. Should we get a second wave? Yeah, 75% of us say that we would would be prepared to do that. And by the way, uh, equal number, 75% say that they expect that we're going to be experiencing some uh, type of second wave. Mm. And what this really reflects is the degree of seriousness which people 
ascribe to dealing with COVID. So, uh, you know, uh, I think that there's this idea that we were kind of coming out of things, but there's there's this real expectation that there's a cliff waiting out for out there for us somewhere called the second wave and that uh, we're on our way to it. And uh, you're not exactly divided because there's still fairly strong opinions across the nation, but leading the charge, Alberta, is with, with the thoughts that uh, we we're going to have another one, isn't it? Yeah, and and uh, probably because of uh, you know the schools going back a little earlier there than in other places, but we've we've certainly found that uh, um, in in most places there's a correspondence between the starting of school and people really getting concerned about a second wave, and and uh, uh, you know to the degree to which people have been saying we're somewhat getting back to normal or whatever. I, you know when you look at numbers like this, that's not where people's heads are. People's heads are pretty much still where they were back in March and April, and they're very Daryl, so 75% of Canadians think we should shut the, the businesses down if there's a second wave. 85% of Albertans think there will be a second wave. How many or what was the percentage of Albertans believing we should shut down if that wave does come? Um, just looking here. Okay, because <laughs> I would suspect exactly it's not sure. as high as the 75% because it doesn't uh, seem to, or yeah, is no, it? Probably, yeah, no, it probably isn't. Yeah. But, uh, I, when we start getting numbers like 75%, that means every single part of the country is in majority territory, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give, give or take, you know, five or 10 points. But it, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, one of those circumstances where it's, it's, you could, when you get to 75, you can almost consider it relatively unanimous. Uh, you don't get 75% of the population agreeing on whether or not the sky is blue most. So, um, you know, when, you, when you've got them at that level. And the other thing I would say, guys, is, is that um, these are not people just kind of throwing out an opinion. These are people who are living through this, who have really thought about this. And, and that's one of the things that we're seeing in all our research about COVID. People are playing, paying an intense amount of attention to this. Their opinions are really well developed. Uh, they can change their opinion, they can change their minds, but it tends to be based on facts and their own personal experience. So they're really invested in these opinions in a way that's different from, you know, asking some of the more, uh, you know, ephemeral things that we can sometimes ask where people kind of just throw off an opinion. These opinions tend to be pretty well thought out. Mm. Because we're all in it, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the controversial uh, topic of vaccines. And I was surprised about Canadians' opinions on whether or not vaccines should be mandatory. Break these numbers down for us. Yeah, so in the 60s, we're seeing in just about every place uh, people saying that, they're, uh, uh, that they uh, think that vaccines should be mandatory. But that still leaves roughly, you know, six and four if those are, the, uh, those are the ratios. That still leaves, you know, 40% of the population saying, yeah, wait a minute. And there's two parts to that, I would say. One part is anybody saying that something is mandatory has a level of proof that's beyond something that's more of a choice. So when you're forcing people to do something, auto- automatically you, they get their backs up. Yeah. The second thing on the vaccine, we're talking about something that's been developed at speed. They don't know anything about it. They don't know whether or not there's going to be any side effects. They don't know what the implications for their health and the health of their family will be regarding getting a vaccine. So uh, you can see that there's a willingness to consider a vaccine, but there's a lot of people who are reluctant about it. And I would say that one of the biggest challenges that you see from these data is the job that's going to be done, need to be done by um, governments in particular 
to convince people that this is safe to do. So it's not just it's available and they're going to uh, and they're going to take it. Mm-hmm. It's pe- people have to feel that their safety is being protected through this process. So true. Oh boy, fascinating numbers this time around. Thanks for joining us, Daryl. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's Daryl Bricker, Ipsos CEO. 817 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, a mix of unique single family homes, townhomes and condos. continues to spread across the globe number of confirmed cases around the world surpassing 30 million well in the u.s deaths from covid19 expected to hit the 200,000 mark and joining us talking about not just politics but coronavirus numbers as well is jackson prosco washington bureau chief for global news hi jackson good morning happy friday to you you too. Uh, interesting numbers, certainly still, you know, climbing across the globe, as I mentioned. In the U.S., things have settled down a little bit, but still, boy, those numbers are very high. What, are people sort of getting the COVID fatigue in the U.S., do you think? Yeah, I think they really are. And the issue is that, of course, we had that first peak in sort of March and April when things were roaring in New York and then things came down a bit and then they peaked even higher when places like Texas and Florida were seeing their cases. They've come back down again, but they're not as low as they were in the first dip. And so what that means is we're still seeing, you know, more than 40,000 cases and about a thousand deaths per day in this country and really heading into the fall. And with COVID fatigue setting in with people loosening up on the the sort of preventative measures and safety measures, uh, there's a lot of fear that things are going to get worse again really quickly here. And, and, you know, we're hearing more and more about the lingering cases such as, you know, the, the rallies that happened even weeks ago, um, having cases result. And now we've got NFL football uh, games with fans in the stands. So it seems like these super spreader events aren't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the sort of interesting thing in all of this is how there is no consistency uh, in the United States. So you could be in a state where NFL football has resumed and fans are in the stands, and then in a neighboring state where there are no fans in the stands. And that's just one example. You know, there was this huge uh, motorcycle rally in South Dakota uh, earlier, uh, uh, just about a month and a half ago mm-hmm. now in Sturgis. And uh, they figure that all the people who went to that, about half a million, then dispersed across the U.S., resulted in a quarter million new cases. So I think that really shows you that trying to continue this right now is uh, to borrow a crude analogy like trying to have a no peeing section in a swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> um, and on a related note i see you're tweeting about the the masks that were uh, originally thought to maybe be sent out to, to every household in the u.s that certainly didn't come to be 
Yeah, this is an interesting story that the U.S. Postal Service had plans to send five reusable cloth masks to every house in the country. And essentially, uh, the White House nixed that plan. They felt that, that it would instill too much panic in the American people if those masks had showed up in the mail. And yet there's good evidence to, to suggest that had they actually moved ahead with that plan to send masks out to people and get people wearing them, that that could have prevented uh, tens, if not 100,000 deaths. We did that actually here, Jackson. I don't. Uh, the premier yeah. sent the, to every household in Alberta, we all got masks. I don't think exactly. it incited any panic, though. <laughs> no, I mean, it seemed like a common sense measure, mm-hmm. especially because so many jurisdictions down here were so quick to require masks in the early days. And still, when it comes to coronavirus being politicized earlier this week, there was a clash between President Donald Trump and I believe the CDC when uh, President Trump said the vaccine's ready to roll out any day now. And the CDC said, stop it right there. So where is the U.S. with the vaccine development and, and when it could realistically be out? Yeah, so the, the short of it is there are three sort of most promising vaccines that are in stage three clinical trials right now. And what the U.S. has done is said to the manufacturers, start making, you know, about 100 million doses of each of those vaccines. And then once we figure out which one is safe and effective, we'll be ready to go. We'll have a good number of vaccines to get out there. Uh, but keep in mind the timeline here. It may not be until October, November, even December until we know which of those vaccines is safe. And then it's not going to be everybody getting it at the same time. It's going to be the, uh, you know, healthcare workers getting it first, the elderly getting it first, the people most at risk. And then you've got to scale that up to 330 million Americans, assuming that it only needs one dose. Some of these vaccine candidates might require multiple injections. And you still have to manufacture all those doses, distribute those doses, and then administer those doses. So the best timeline from the experts in this field is sort of mid to late 2021, that enough people will have been vaccinated that we can start to relax the restrictions and start to sort of take our foot off the gas when it comes to how we're uh, protecting ourselves and restricting things around COVID-19. It's not going to happen instantaneously the moment that a successful vaccine is identified. And that's sort of the, the piece of the puzzle here that the president is not talking about. And certainly not within 46 days, which is how far we are away from the election. And Joe Biden accusing the president of really playing politics with this vaccine, truly. Yeah, and he's not the only one. You know, there's a lot of polling out there that suggests now that Americans are increasingly skeptical about the safety of a vaccine, worried that, you know, one is going to be rushed to market simply to satisfy the president's political whims. The drug makers, the pharmaceutical companies have said they will not do that. They won't release it until it's safe. Uh, But there was a a NBC News survey out this past week that suggests uh, something like only 36% of Americans or 39% say they are currently willing to accept a vaccine based on what they know right now. And 52% say they do not trust anything the president has to say about a vaccine. Mm. Of course, we're still uh, all eyes 46 days from the big one, the election on November 3rd, seeing uh, two different uh, you know, schools of thought. Joe Biden basically saying, you know what, um, we're hearing a lot about if, uh, you know, if I was president and Joe Biden says, well, you are president and <laughs> President Donald Trump operating off fear, saying that there will be, you know, anarchy if Joe Biden mm-hmm. Is elected. Are we going to see the same rhetoric in the same path, or do you think we're going to see some change-ups from these two candidates? You know, we're uh, less than two weeks away from the first presidential debate, but I think what you're going to see is exactly what you have been seeing, which is Trump claiming that it's all going to be a mess under Joe Biden and Joe Biden explaining what he would do as president. And I think that's kind of the curious thing here. The thing that stands out is that Trump has not overtly said what he would do if he's given a second term. Right now, he's really running on the idea of Joe Biden being too scary to be elected president. But Trump himself is not saying what he would do if he's given a second four-year term in office. And 
that might be the biggest distinction between the two right now. And it really just seems it's spreading misinformation, spreading fear, negative attack ads, and really from both sides, it just seems to be the name of the game right now, doesn't it? It really is. And I think that's, you know, the way these things typically go in the U.S. I think you'll see more of a pivot as we get closer to the campaign with uh, Biden really trying to portray himself as more of a leader and playing up the fear card a little bit less. Uh, I should point out there is a ton of interest in voting in this campaign in Virginia, just across the river from where I am. It's the first day of early voting and they're seeing record high turnout. Wow. Incredible stuff there. And as far as the other aspect I wanted to talk about was the social media with announcements that perhaps new users will be banned on TikTok and WeChat by Sunday. Is this something that the government can enforce when you talk about an application? Yeah, so what they're essentially saying is if you already have those things, you can still use them, but you won't be able to download it from any of the app stores. They're trying to prevent Google and Apple from listing those apps in the app stores, meaning you won't be able to have new versions released. And then they're also saying that uh, WeChat in particular will face even more sort of strict restrictions that uh, it will be illegal for any U.S. company to host or transfer Internet traffic relating to that app. So that seems like a bit more of a ban. You know, it's not clear if this is actually going to be implemented, if it's just just a tactic at this point, uh, but certainly it speaks to the fact that the administration continues to make this an issue. Uh, essentially, they're alleging that both apps are a security threat to American citizens. I'm going to continue practicing my TikTok dances until a time when I'm not allowed to any longer. Thanks for joining us, Jackson. Have a great weekend. Have, have a great weekend. That's Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. 717 helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Main streets highlight 20-foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths. Now, this is normally where we check in with Danielle Smith, brought to you by Jamin Built, building resort-style bungalows in the exclusive community of Riversong in Cochrane. But this is a very special weekend for our friends in the Jewish community. And with details, we're joined this morning by Senior Rabbi Menachem Matasov. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to us a little bit about Rosh Hashanah. Tonight is the start of this holiday. What's the history and significance? Uh, the history is, uh, once upon a time, there was no world. The world was created 5,781 years ago, which makes it that Rosh Hashanah is actually not the Jewish New Year, but the New Year for the world mm. at large. It is actually the, the day, the sixth day of creation, 
the the day that Adam and Eve, humankind, was created. So it's everyone's birthday. So happy birthday, everyone! <laughs> happy birthday! <laughs> so so so, how is it celebrated, and, and what sorts of things will we will be seeing in our city, Rabbi? Uh, we'll uh, see apple and honey. Uh, this evening, the holiday begins this evening. It's a two-day holiday, um, and we uh, we uh, it begins before sundown where the women light uh, the Shabbat and holiday candles. Then we uh, have prayers, then we have the holiday meal. And during the holiday meal, we, um, we uh, dip apple and the special challah bread in honey while wishing each other a sweet and good year. And of course, uh, prayers at synagogue, it's a, a birthday, everyone's birthday is a day of judgment, a day of evaluating the past and uh, setting the tone for the future. So this is the day where the world uh, needs to uh, evaluate how was the past year, how are we going to make God our king and recommitting ourselves to his leadership in, uh, in, the, in the upcoming year. This year, obviously, the prayers are going to be much uh, a lot at home. Uh, many people are going to stay uh, to stay home due to the pandemic, unfortunately. On Sunday, there is also the special commandment of sounding of the shofar, the harms, the harms horn, uh, which is a, bl- a biblical commandment, and uh, which we sound the shofar on the second day uh, this year, which is on Sunday. And of course, we have food, food, food. No holiday can <laughs> yes. without food. I love that Jewish celebrations are always surrounded by delicious food. How how big is the Jewish community in Calgary, Rabbi? Um, I I believe it's around the ten thousand mark, and um, and, and uh, usually we have big crowds at the synagogue this year. Obviously, the synagogues will be less um, less uh, uh, Full, attended. Yeah. Uh, very unfortunately, but we do encourage people to uh, to celebrate at home. In Judaism, actually, while prayers at synagogue is important, especially during the high holidays, but health and safety comes first and takes priority. So I personally have encouraged many people to actually stay home. We did arrange for multiple shorter and smaller services, indoor and outdoor to accommodate more people. As an example, we have the popular Shofar on the Lawn program this coming Sunday, uh, to which people will come. It will be outdoors and so on. And um, and with our guides that we gave out and lots of food that were sent to people to their homes to celebrate, especially seniors and people who will be lonely and will not be able to celebrate with families and so on. Big weekend ahead. Thank you for your time this uh, this morning, Rabbi. Thank you so much, and of course, happy birthday again to everyone, and um, and uh, time to reconnect and to bond with uh, with our Almighty God, and Shana Tova Metuka, a sweet and happy year, and uh, and a healthy one and a safe one to everyone. You can, Shana Tova. You can say it better than Thank I can. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is a Senior Rabbi Menahem Matasov. It's eight. 47. Time for helicopter traffic, and it is brought to you by West District by Truman. You will find a home that fits your lifestyle.
uh, delays on Searcy Trail in both directions around Richmond Road. There's ongoing construction related to the Southwest Ring Road, and right now southbound lanes are actually down to that single lane approaching Richmond Road, and it extends past the intersection down towards Highway 8 and Glenmore Trail. Light volume, though, on Glenmore Trail eastbound as you make your way out towards Deerfoot. Deerfoot Trail has seen a nice wind down through both the southeast and northeast, and same with Crowchild. That's a great option through the northwest. If you are making your way into downtown, though, an, an incident that has been lasting all morning is on 10th Avenue at 6th Street Southwest. There was a vehicle that went into the building, so the eastbound right lane there is shut down while police investigate. The extended Lexus three-day event is on now. Benefit from a 1.5% rate reduction and delivery credits of up to $3,000. See your Lexus dealer for details. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Reddy Howard.